Support is provided in part by Conway Shield. Those who answer the call and risk it all for the safety and well-being of others deserve someone willing to give their all in return. Conway Shield is built on the shoulders of three service legacies. Customizing the nation's very best firefighting shields has expanded to providing the most effective technology, tools, and training for today's fire and law leaders. Learn more at ConwayShield.com. Shane McKeown is an FDNY lieutenant and seasoned endurance athlete. Shane joined the ranks of the FDNY immediately after 9-11 and spent many years as a firefighter in Engine Company 84 and Ladder Company 34 in Washington Heights before becoming a company officer. Shane has served as a lead fitness instructor at the FDNY's Probationary Firefighter School, a program manager for the FDNY's a day in the life of a firefighter program in conjunction with the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton Business School and as a member of the FDNY's First Line Supervisor Training Program. Shane played Division I baseball and two years of minor league baseball prior to joining the FDNY. Since becoming a member of the FDNY, Shane has completed 25 marathons, numerous ultra open water swims, and the Iron Man on two occasions. Shane, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. First, I want to acknowledge that we're recording this just a few days after the 2023 New York City Marathon. So how are you feeling about that race? Uh, physically, I'm fine. Uh, unfortunately, we did not turn out or show up this year. We got trounced by NYPD. It was uncomfortable. It's not not uh, a seat that we're usually in. We're going to talk about the Mayor's Cup more later in the program. I, I mentioned in the intro how many marathons you've actually run, but how many New York City marathons have you participated in? I believe that was my 20th. It could be my 19th. I kind of lost track. Wow. Um, I've missed two in 22 years on the fire department. That's incredible. I, I have to acknowledge your finisher times. So do you mind? No, absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> I know it's a little not. bit of a personal question for runners. It's okay. Uh, I was, uh, when I first got into the marathon scene, Training, not knowing what I was doing, I was around a 310 marathoner. Okay. So um, so that was like I could get by with a 310. Mm -hmm. I started when I was about 24 years old, 25 years old. And then I flirted with three hours, oh, like five times I missed it by seconds. Oh, wow. We're talking three hours and 15 seconds, three hours and 45 seconds. So finally I went out and, and paid for a real running program from a coach. Mm -hmm. I believe his name was Mike Kehoe. He was a New York City based mm -hmm. sub 220 marathoner, fantastic guy. So he introduced me to the proper way of training. And so that was uh, speed work three times a week, six, running six days a week. And I told him my goal was to go sub three. And uh, I'm a big guy, so I'm 6'6", 230. So mm -hmm. that's not the norm for a person my Absolutely. size. So uh, I followed his program and it, it was like, it was the easiest thing I've ever done. I ran sub three on my first attempt, like I was talking to you now. We mm. ran shoulder to shoulder. I, I could have went faster, but I just wanted to break three. So I was able to squeak out a 259 and change. And then uh, it just, it got better and better and better from there. Yeah. 
What was your fastest New York City? I believe 255 okay. and change is my fastest New York. That's amazing. And I share that mindset with you. I was explaining before we started recording how I got into ultra marathons and how the idea of a marathon just was never daunting to me. The, the mentality of it, of endurance sport, was attractive to me. But for the record, I ran the New York City Marathon with the FDNY in 2019, and I didn't train for it, but I did it in four hours and 30 minutes. <laughs> so a little bit of a difference there. <laughs> but the key is train. So yeah. I, I try to tell everyone that comes is, is if you really want to do New York or any marathon, you really have to train. Because if you train, you'll have a great experience. If you don't train, mm -hmm. then you probably won't come back to that experience again because it's not going to be fun. Yeah, I was really trying just to be present so that I could enjoy my surroundings. And so I didn't overdo it. So that way I could finish and finish finish smiling. Oh, so you did finish smiling. Yes. That's that's so important. So important. <laughs> and then I also wanted to mention that for me at that pace, so for those who don't know, at the start of the New York City Marathon, you have the professional or elite men in the front, and then you have the first wave of runners right behind them. And just before the race starts, the NYPD and the FDNY kind of shimmy in between the two. And so I thought that was magical to be there in, physically for that moment when the race starts. So the cannons go off, the confetti is flying. And then for me, it turned into the Hunger Games because going over the Verrazano Bridge, I'm getting shoved and cursed at because serious runners are up there at that point. It, it is one of the hardest things to not go too fast, and it's a mile uphill. Yeah. You're doing your first mile uphill over the Verrazano, mm -hmm. um, and these unbelievable sub-elite runners are behind you, and you feel like you're running in quicksand, mm -hmm. and it's like this wave of energy. Yep. That And I, I've had trained with people that on their best day, they could not run a six-minute mile, and they've run a six-minute mile uphill on that first mile. And it's just because this energy just pushes them up the hill. It's crazy. Thank goodness there was another battalion chief running near me, and we decided to just go shoulder to shoulder. So that way, everybody had to go around us. Otherwise, I was getting jostled you, all over the place. Absolutely. People will put their hands in your lower back. They'll start yeah. pushing you and, and cut right through. It's 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 crazy. It was it's jarring. Crazy. It went from, oh, this beautiful moment to, like I said, the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so there is so much more to unpack regarding your athletic life. Before we go any further in the conversation, let's explore your background. So can you share where you're from and describe your early life and the impetus for joining the FDNY? So born and raised in in Queens, New York. I was actually born in Sunnyside, Queens, in the house that we currently live in. But we quickly moved to Middle Village, Queens, which is only 15 minutes away. My parents are off the boat Irish. Mm -hmm. They met here. And my father was a carpenter. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And really super hard work ethic. My father was a very good athlete. Mm -hmm. So he played Gaelic football pretty much like semi-pro, pro level. That's what got him out to this country. And I just uh, followed in his footsteps with athletes and, and the work, the hard work ethic. Mm -hmm. uh, what The first thing that turned me on, I always wanted to be some sort of athlete. 
um, because I was six foot six and a lefty, everyone just automatically assumed I was gonna be a baseball player. But it really wasn't my passion. My passion was basketball. I loved hoops, I loved the action, I loved the game, the style, the fast-paced. Baseball was a little too slow for me. I just could not focus with baseball. But I was six foot six and a lefty, so everyone said your best shot is with baseball. It was stressful because as a even as a young child, I remember people saying, if I had your size, if I had your skills, mm -hmm. I would be. And so I was kind of pegged as you got them. If you don't make it, you're a failure. Mm -hmm. um, in high school, I went to Archbishop Molloy High School. And on my team was uh, this, this other boy named Brian Hennessy. And Brian Hennessy's dad was a New York City firefighter. And Mr. Hennessy would come to all the games, and he was the only dad, while the game was going on, he would run laps around the track and do push-ups in right field and do pull-ups on a bar, and I just was enamored with this guy. I was like, how come none of the other dads look like him? How come none of the other dads do what he's doing? And when I would go over to Brian's house, I would go down to his basement, and you'd see Mr. Hennessy's bench press, and his weights, and I couldn't believe that this man was this strong, this fast, and he was always the happiest father, whether at every single game, picking up his son, and I said, if I don't make it as a professional baseball player, I wanna do that. And I had no family on the job, my parents were immigrants, I mm -hmm. knew no one, but that was my first taste of FDNY, New York City Firefighter, and it was that early in my life that I was like, I wanna do that. I love that story. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, thanks. So then let's discuss your Division One baseball experience. Um, how did you actually end up playing Division One, and then what teams were you on? So out of Malloy, we were a very, very competitive program. I think I believe in like the four years that I was there, we lost like three or four games total in my four-year career at Malloy. My senior team, there was 11 seniors, 11 of us got full Division One scholarships mm -hmm. to uh, D1 schools. Um, I signed with New York Tech mm -hmm. with Bob Hirschfield, and I was – I was at the era coming into baseball where they didn't care so much of control as a pitcher. They just wanted to see 90 or 95 on the on the radar gun, and that wasn't me. I was uh, a lefty, crafty lefty that could only throw it 80, maybe 85 on a good day, but I could put the ball wherever I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't glitz and glamour, but I was able to get guys out. So um, if you can get guys out, that's the name of the game. So I had a very good collegiate career. I started as a freshman. I was supposed to not see any, and I ended up being the number one reliever as a freshman out of tech. And then uh, my sophomore year, I became the number two starter. So wow. yeah, it was it was it was a really great experience. Uh, New York Tech was a at, in back in the early, late eighties, early nineties. They were like ranked top in the country in baseball. Unfortunately, the program folded for a year. They came back and. I was part of the, the the second wave of getting the the program back to its glory days. Mm. Unfortunately, um, we were not able to get the star key players to bring us back to the. But our coach kept us on that really hard, 
uh, Division One schedule. So we played. We were independent. We had no conference. So we played the best team in the country that had a bye that weekend. So we were going up against University of Miami, mm-hmm. Florida State, uh, Wake Forest, Duke, all the teams that had a bye in their conference. So we were a little team coming out of Old Westbury, New York, out of a gym, and now we're playing these. <laughs> like so, we we got we got beat up pretty bad. Oh my god! But it was a great, great, great experience. So what did you do from there? How did you end up going to school and playing baseball to actually joining the FDNY? So once uh, my senior year was old, I wasn't good enough to get drafted, so I got signed to uh, the independent league. Mm-hmm. So I played in Elmira for two years. And uh, I remember the day I was getting released and I asked the coach, I was 23 years old, and I said, do I have a chance? Or he goes, kid, do you have anything else going on back home? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I." was smart enough to take the FDNY test when I was a senior in, in college. And he said, if the FDNY is calling you, I think it's time to hang it up. Wow. And it was it was bittersweet, mm-hmm. but I went from one team right into another team. And so, hey, it, it, was, it was a dream, absolute dream. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask, if there's anything you want to add about the game of baseball as it relates to your FDNY career. <sighs> that's a good question. Team aspect was definitely a huge part. And also just sitting back and paying attention to your elders. So when I was a freshman on a Division One baseball team, the seniors, when you're in high school, you usually play freshman ball, JV ball, and then varsity. I got thrown in from a freshman. Now I'm playing with guys that are sophomores, juniors, and seniors. So I really looked up to the seniors when I was a freshman. And so I think that helped me when I got on the fire department Mm -hmm. because I was smart enough to know I didn't know enough. (laughs) And so when I got into the fire service, I I really, really looked up to the senior guys, asked a lot of questions, took their word, and just whatever, whatever nooks and crannies of great advice they gave me, I really took that to heart. Did you ever tell Mr. Hennessy what his influence was on you and share your FDNY career with him? I, I actually had, so he had two sons. Billy was older. I didn't know Billy that well, but Brian was a year older than me. Billy followed his dad into the FDNY and was a firefighter. And I met Billy years later on the job. And I told Billy of how important his dad was to me. Mm-hmm. Billy then decided he wanted to start running marathons. And so I kind of helped him and Mr. Hennessy, I met at one of the marathons. And I, I told him, I pulled him aside, I said, you know, you were a big, big, big part. He was thrilled. He couldn't oh. believe it. Uh, Brian, believe it or not, just went against the grain and he became uh, NYPD and he's worked his way up. I mean, he's, I think, chief level in, in, in the NYPD service wise. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. So you're a longtime member of the FDNY running club and not just a member, but as we've established, one of the more competitive distance runners. When did you get involved with the running club? So it, it's it's like a, it's not a formal. So you basically decide to run the New York City Marathon, and it's we compete against the cops in the, inside the marathon called the Mayor's Cup, mm-hmm. and it's the first ten cops versus the first ten firefighters. So I came in not really known as anybody. I was a, just one year on the job, so I ran it, and I ran I think a three oh nine, and I placed I think. I don't know, maybe fifth or sixth on the team. And I was young and it's like, who's this big guy that just ran? And so then someone grabbed me and said, hey, 
do you want to keep doing this? I said, absolutely. I would love to be a part of a team. And so the team is kind of fluid. We Sometimes we don't know people that come in. Mm-hmm. So last year, I believe one of the guys who actually won it for us, who came in first, was his first time running. No one knew who he really was. And now he's part of the team moving forward. Mm-hmm. So it's a really cool, it ebbs and flows. Yeah. When did you start participating in endurance sport and why? Uh, so when I was... At Tech with baseball, you were really restricted. Um, you're a Division One athlete. You're on a full scholarship, and you're really not supposed to do anything. I got caught playing basketball once or twice, and my coach was threatening to yank my scholarship because you know you're you're an investment for them. So I always had it in the back of my mind that I had a laundry list of things that I wanted to do once my baseball career was over. On our campus, we had a really really beautiful cross country. They actually hold a state. New York State Championships there behind our baseball field. And one of the things that I learned was if you were a starting pitcher, one of the things that you do after your start is to go for a long run the next day. And what that does is it flushes all the lactic acid out of your arm and gets to your legs. So if you do that long run the next day, you won't be as sore Mm -hmm. and your recovery is quicker. Um, And so uh, the seniors had showed me this. So I just fell in love with running for an hour, an hour and a half, sometimes two in the back of these trails after a start, after my sophomore year. And um, so I knew that that was kind of like on the back burner, like I like this, Um, no music, I like being by myself, I like being in the trails. And I think that's the first time that I, how do you say, caught the bug Mm -hmm. for it. And uh, then when I got into the fire service, it was like, hey, I have no restrictions right now. Get off probation. Don't get hurt. Once probation's over, then let's see what we can do. And mm-hmm. that was it. And we took off from there. When I first started running, I will admit it was for vanity. <laughs> and I learned, though, about myself that I loved endurance sport because, similar to you, I just decided to run outside of my door without headphones or a watch and I just ran until I felt like I was either gonna throw up pass out or die love it and I only went like probably a half a mile in the beginning right but it the world looked different after that and it's something that planted a seed right and caught the bug and you know obviously I've run ultra distances since then and I really enjoy endurance Uh, I mentioned in the intro that you've also done Ironman and ultra-distance swims. What is the toughest endurance race you've attempted or completed? So the toughest for me, uh, so running came natural for me. Uh, Swimming was not. Mm -hmm. Um, My sister-in-law is a fantastic collegiate swimmer, and she's the one that got me into the ultra-swimming realm. Mm -hmm. Uh, We grew up in Queens, but we had a summer home in Long Island on the North Shore in Rocky Point, New York. And at that part of the, the Long Island Sound, Connecticut, you're looking at Connecticut all the time. So as a little boy, I always wondered, how far is Connecticut? And could anyone ever swim it? Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know, my sister-in-law signs up for a race, and it's from Port Jeff, New York, to Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's an ultra swim. And I said, I have to do this. This is something I have to do. But she beat me to the punch. I wasn't a strong swimmer. She swam it, and I was her crew for that year. So I crewed for her, mm-hmm. and by the time she crossed the finish line, I was already pulling on her shirt saying, I want in, 
Can you teach me? How do I do this? And I trained for the whole year. And so that was the hardest, for me, mentally and physically, the hardest race I've ever done. Mm -hmm. So it was from bridge uh, from Port Jeff to Bridgeport. It's a total of 16 miles as a crow flies, but with the currents, yeah. it'll push you to the east, it'll push you to the west. I, I was able to swim it in, in about 18 miles. So it was 10 hours and 20 minutes. Wow. Of you in your own head, yeah. No, no communicating with anyone. Uh, it was really cool. I had an awesome crew. My crew was made up of a, a member on the fire service was my captain, first aid. My girlfriend, now wife at the time, was my uh, food. Yeah. So every tw twenty minutes, she'd hold up a whiteboard and say "Chow's on." Mm -hmm. You were not allowed to touch the boat. So she would throw a bottle of fluid at me and I would start drinking the fluid mm -hmm. and then face back in the water and start swimming again. It was it was a, an unbelievable experience, a funny story. We got, and I did it solo, so there was relay races and there was only, I don't know, 10 or 15 solo. So you had a bunch of relay teams and you had some solo swimmers. And we got three quarters to halfway into the sound and it started getting choppy. And a lot of the swimmers were getting sick. And mm. if you once you start vomiting, you know in an ultra, <laughs> you know your your dehydration, you're gonna start cramping. So I started getting queasy, and we uh, we had brought ginger chews, mm. so ginger will help settle your stomach. Yeah. So I had said to my crew, "Hey, can I get a ginger tab?" So they threw a ginger tab out to me. I, I put it under my tongue, and it settled my stomach. But about 45, 50 minutes later, I asked for a second ginger. And my my wife said, ah, you don't want to do it, overdo it on the gingers. I go, no, 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 I need another one. She's like, you really don't want to overdo it on the gingers. I'm like, could you please give me a ginger? I'm sure you said it just like just that. Just like that, maybe with a few other words. And she said, uh, we don't have any more. Oh. And I said, we had a whole bag. And she said, well, the whole crew started getting sick on the boat, so we ate all your gingers. Salt in the wound. I looked at her and I said, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And I put my head back in the water. I just kept swimming, <laughs> kept on swimming. But it was it probably motivated me to swim faster. Yeah. But that did happen on our race. It was pretty funny. I love that. Yeah. I, I shouldn't say that I love it, but I do. I get it. That's so funny. What a race. It was fun. It was fun. And, and it was great. Uh, the females dominate mm -hmm. the sport. So first, second, and third were females mm -hmm. I was I came in fourth first male but and the the two females I believe that came in first and second they're like world renowned they did double crossing of the English Channel so mm. they swam from England to, to France and back wow and, it, and, and they didn't just beat me they beat me by like two hours an hour and 40 something minutes mm. it was it was unbelievable super impressive yeah when I started running long distance I was in a running club based in New Jersey and it was called Union County Moms Run This Town. I don't have children. They just adopted me and let me join their, their weekend runs. And mom strength is real. Those women pushed me further than I've ever pushed myself. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It, I, have, I have such respect for women in, in general, but in, in endurance training. Mm -hmm. We would do Ironmans 
uh, tr training camps. We were instructors and we would have two days, sometimes three day workouts. And the men were so quick to blow off the second workout. Like, ah, we just did the, you know, the 56 mile bike, we're good. And the women every single time were like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll have a beer when we're done, but we're <laughs> gonna finish this thing. They just power through it, it's incredible. I'm sure you have a lot of training and racing philosophies that translate to your professional life. I wanted to know if you can share some of them and when they've served you best throughout your career. So one of them is bad things are gonna come your way. Never let doubt creep in your mind. So no matter what I'm feeling in a race, I'm never gonna say it's over, I can't do this. I'll just refocus and say, okay, let's reassess. It's not going my way right now. Let's get a new game plan and let's attack this from a different side. So uh, that's how I do it in the performance for athletics and for fire service the same way. So if we go into a very hairy situation, things don't always go our way, but we don't quit. We don't give up, we take a breath, take a step back and say, okay, if this is not working, let's refocus and let's try to do it a different way. Let's try and switch it up. So with my guys now on my crew, let's say example of forcing a door. I always tell my crew, uh, when you're forcing a door, we'll give you two attempts at forcing that door. After it doesn't work, after the second attempt, a lot of time you'll get this tunnel vision and you'll just keep riding that into the ground. And I'll, I'll just throw out a keyword and I'll say, switch it up. And so my crew knows if I hear change or switch it up, that means, okay, that wasn't working, mm -hmm. let's try something different. And so that's, it, it's important, it's very important. I, I try to live by that. Yeah, it's a solution-oriented mindset for correct, sure. Correct, correct. When you broke the record of the FDNY fitness exam, what did that actually entail? I, so it, this this story's kind of gotten out of control. So it was a it was the CPAT training uh, course, and it I went through it, and I was just in really great shape. I believe the course is designed for a guy my size um, because uh, you need a lot of leverage with height and with someone that has a big engine. So I had the height and the strength, but I also had the heart mm -hmm. of an engine of a guy who's a you know super small runner. Mm -hmm. And when I went through the course, I just went as fast as I could, as hard as I could, and the instructor said, I've never seen anyone go through it, that's gotta be a record. And someone heard it, and next thing you know, it went down like, the whispers down the cut, and next you know, the, it was Shane broke the record for CPAT. And so it's followed me for, for a while now. I don't know if it officially is a record, but it's just spun into this little bit of a fairy tale. But then you eventually became an instructor at the Fire Academy. So what did you take away from your experience doing that? It was it was great. It was such a such a great time to be a part. I, I got selected by Lieutenant Mike Cassiola to be a part of the fitness unit. It was great because we were able to help mold the new generation of firefighters coming on the job. And uh, I really loved uh, Mike's philosophy, Lieutenant Cassiola's mantra philosophy was, everything the probies do, we do. So we're never going to discipline them. We're gonna discipline them, but when they get disciplined, we're doing the punishment with them. So for every mile that they ran, I ran next to them. For every push-up they did, I did it with them. It was fantastic. I To this day, I'll be at a function, whether it's the St. Patrick's Day Parade or any event, and I have members coming up to me and say, uh, sir, I just wanna say, you were the hardest, one of the 
of the hardest instructors I had out there, but you were super fair and you really, really turned me into the best firefighter I could be. So it, every time someone says that to me, it just, it just makes my whole week. So it was such a great, great experience doing yeah, that. Yeah, sounds rewarding. And I reminded you before we started recording that I participated in the Firefighter for a Day Challenge at the FDNY when I first started working for the department. And basically it's set up like proby school, right? You get put into teams, you have your instructors, and then you run through evolutions. I remember doing the repelling Jaws of Life. We went into the subway simulator and had to remove victims. We went through Motivation Alley. And I'm petite, I'm the polar opposite of you physically. And when it came to me being the backup, I had to actually turn around to put my back against the person with the nozzle and push that way to Love like it. advance. Um, and I actually didn't know that it was a challenge against yourself. I asked my team once we got uh, put together, so what's our strategy to beat the other teams? And everybody looked at me like I was a little crazy. <laughs> 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 I thought if somebody was going to win in the end. We all were winners, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But that's the essence of it, right? You got to make it a little competitive, right? <laughs> to get the juices burning. I love that. Yeah. Um, I actually, when I went through uh, the academy, so I had no family, I had no connections, mm -hmm. no one. So I, I remember the first day walking through the gate, uh, all my peers were saying, good morning, Lou, good morning, Lou, good morning, Lou. And my thought was, there's a lot of Lou's on this job. Oh I had, my God. That's how green I was. I had no idea that a, a bar on your collar meant lieutenant. So I had no connections, no nothing. So I knew to me, for me to make my mark in the fire department, I had two chances. One was the valedictorian or a fitness award winner. So those two, if you win one of those two, you get to go to your house of choice. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a little unknown like privilege in the fire service. So I tried my hardest for the valedictorian, didn't happen, um, but I did win the fitness award. Because of that, Lieutenant Cassiola took a liking to me. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking in his offices and he said, uh, uh, probationary firefighter McKeown, you have an, an opportunity to pick your top three firehouses in the city. And I'm a Queens kid, so I didn't know anything. So I just picked the three closest firehouses to my little town of Middle Village. Mm -hmm. And when I handed in the paper, he said, this is where you wanna go? And I said, those are the firehouses next to my home. He goes, you have an opportunity to go to the best firehouse. And this is where I said, I, he goes, do you have family on the job? And I go, no, sir, I don't. Mm -hmm. He goes, how about I send you to my firehouse? In my opinion, it's the best firehouse in the city, which was Engine 84, Ladder 34. And I said, okay, send me there. He goes, go, go do, he goes, go home, go do your research. He goes, and then come back to me. I said, Lieutenant, if you say it's the best firehouse in the city, I'll take your word for it. Uh, he goes, I'm gonna send you to 34 truck. I said, fantastic. The weekend goes, I get a, I see him on Monday morning and he says, I have some good news and bad news. And I said, well, what is it? He goes, uh, I can't get you to 34 truck, it's full, but I can get you to another truck. I said, no, 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 no. You told me it was the best firehouse in the city. I go, send me to the engine. I go, if it's the best firehouse in the city, that's where I wanna be. So he's like, you're a big guy for the engine. I'm like, I, I don't care. So he sent me to 84 engine and I started my career off there. I wanted to talk about the Wharton program. Okay. So based on your experience at the training academy, which clearly was super positive, what did you enjoy the most about the Wharton program? And did you learn anything about yourself in the process by helping 
people from the business world sort of come in and experience things through the the lens of the fire academy that's a great question uh we we did a lot of companies google a bunch of companies came out and no knock on the other business schools michigan whoever you who came out wharton they were just a notch above everybody else and when we first ran the dry run with wharton it was like it was train the trainer. So they were going through it as students, but they were giving us feedback as trainers on what they were looking for. And firefighters, we're always looking to help people. That's that's what we do. So when we first went through the first Wharton program, we were too nice. We were too helpful. We were giving them too many tips. So that the feedback came, we want you to uh, notch it up the stress, don't tell us so much, let us think on our own, let us figure it out on our own. And I really love that because in my opinion, you learn more when you're given less mm-hmm. and you get to you get to succeed and fail on your own. And so the second time they came through, that's exactly what we did. So we brought the yelling, we brought the screaming, and we, we gave them very little information. And when, when they were trying to formulate their plan, we were not giving them the time. So when we gave them an evolution, for one example is they have a, a really cool tunnel where you go in the tunnel and it, you, you went through it, it gets narrower, it gets lower, you go over a, a railroad tie and you have to, so we would let them go through this blacked out tunnel, you can't see anything. And so we would let them start, and they go through the whole thing and we let them finish. Then the second time they go through, they go through in teams of two. So now they're paired up in teams of two and we would put a fake mannequin maybe 10 feet inside this tunnel. And all the other business schools, when they hit that mannequin, they had it already programmed in their head that they saw the start and they knew the finish. So they would drag that mannequin all the way through this dark, hot, smoky-filled tunnel and when Wharton went through, they were the only class of people that when they hit that dummy, they said, but the exit's right behind us. Let's just turn around and bring them out that way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, because that's what we mm-hmm. would have done in the fire service. Mm-hmm. We would hit that dummy and we would take them out. So on their own, they were able to figure that out, think stressful situation, think on their feet, plan A, plan B, plan C, and they were able to ex- execute. It was really cool. So it helped me realize that, hey, uh, the takeaways here are there's so many ways to skin a cat. Mm -hmm. Just because you did it one way doesn't mean it's going to work that same way. You articulated that so much better than I ever could. And as a civilian, I always say that the conversations I have with members of the fire service, many of them are transferable. These are transferable skills and ways of thinking that apply to all walks of life. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah. So when you eventually went to Engine 84, Ladder 34 in Washington Heights, what did you enjoy about that experience? What did you think? It was such a great eye-opening experience. Uh, It was right after 9-11. I was the first class at 9-11. And uh, it was a somber time in the fire service. So we were busy working, going to funerals, finding our brothers and sisters. And the guys were just incredible. It, it is a very unique neighborhood to work mm-hmm. in because we have everything. We have brownstones, we have H-types, and every day we went to work, I learned something new. And I felt like the senior membership was always looking to better ourselves. 
I was always told it's safer to work in a busier area because um, those firefighters are swinging the club on a more often basis. So I always felt safe. I always felt like uh, everyone had uh, our, our best interests involved. And it was a really cool family-oriented firehouse. It was it was generational. So we had many members that had fathers, grandfathers, uncles there, and some great, great traditions and lifelong friends. It's awesome. You spent many years in the firefighter rank before becoming a lieutenant. I wanted to ask if you have any thoughts or advice on going from firefighter to company officer. So the truth be told, I had two cousins get on the job with me at the same time. So they were the class before me. So they were both police officers and they transferred over uh, to FD, but they weren't in the class. I missed it by like a handful of names. And they quickly started studying right off the bat. I had no interest in studying. I loved my home. I had no intentions of leaving Engine 8434. Two part. One, because it was a fantastic firehouse. The second was I was uh, very, very not confident in my reading skills. Mm. And I was intimidated by books, mm. to be honest with you. Mm. And I didn't think that I could cut the mustard in being a company officer. So I just kept putting it off, putting it off, and putting it off. So I believe three tests went by, and I was at the fire academy, and I was standing in the back listening to another officer speak to a bunch of probies. And an old lieutenant from my house came up next to me. And as this officer speaking, he whispered in my ear, if he can be a New York City lieutenant, it's a shame that you're not. Mm. And I said, I just don't have the confidence in me. He goes, just start reading, it'll come. And so with, I think I started with like 14, I had 14 years on when I just finally decided to study. And we got a great group in the firehouse, study group. And I just said, okay, I'm gonna give it a shot. I'm not gonna give up on this. And it, it, it did come. It took a while. It took a couple of months for me to gain some confidence. I felt like I wasn't the smart one in the room. Everyone knew the test questions. They were better students. I couldn't remember things, but like anything else, I just stuck with it, and next thing you know, I was I was competing with all the other guys. And you do get competitive, and I never was a good student. And 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 next thing you know, I'm going to all the classes, and I'm I'm scoring in the top of the top of the group. So I'm glad it went the way it did. Um, I'm glad I waited. There's something to be said about becoming a lieutenant. I think when I finally got promoted, I had 16 years, going on 17, walking in a firehouse as an officer, and and you're seasoned. Um, you already look the look because you're seasoned. Mm -hmm. Then they find out where you worked. That helps you out. And then they finally see what you're about. So it, it definitely helps. It definitely helps. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I've had a lot of conversations with people who were young officers and having to navigate things from that perspective. The other perspective I've explored, I author senior member profiles for WNYF magazine. So the criteria for that is obviously... I'm covering the careers of members who probably have four decades in the FDNY or, you know, maybe a little bit more. Wow. And one of the things a lot of chief officers say is you can't stay in the ranks where you're operating in the field into the later years of your career because you're just physically you have the experience, but you just physically can't do the job anymore. So I'm wondering how you're able to juggle 
work, your athletic life, and your personal life and prioritize training physically? So I have some some hard rules on this and it's all self-reflect. I believe as we get older, we make a lot of excuses and I am not about that. So my uh, mantra to myself is uh, you got to do more. So as you get older, instead of taking your foot off the gas and start, starting to hit the brake, I decide to press a little bit more on the gas pedal. So I believe in wearing your mask for everything. Mm. So some junior firefighters or senior firefighters will be like, hey, Lou, you know, why are you wearing your mask on a, a gas leak? No one wears their mask on a gas leak. And I, my feeling is once you stop wearing your mask for that, you're never going to go back. Mm -hmm. So it's a rep for me. So I always want to uh, be getting a rep, whether it's practice or the real deal. Um, so that wasn't a concern for me becoming an officer was, hey, I'm going to become a lieutenant because my body can't take it anymore. I wanted to become a lieutenant because I wanted to share the knowledge. I wanted to share um, the information that we had that was passed down for me from the guys in, in the Heights. As to juggling all that I have, I try to get everything done super early in the morning. Hmm. So I don't want my physical uh, training to get in the way of one, the firehouse, my family life. So I'll get up early 4, 4.30 in the morning, out the door by 4.45, get all my training done before I either have to go to work or I have my family time. So this way it doesn't get in the way and I don't feel like I'm, I'm being selfish. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I do. So that works for me. And then how does recovery work into all of that? So I, I do pay attention to uh, my mileage. I am meticulous about my training logs. So I don't try to go too much too soon. Mm -hmm. I do uh, follow the 10% rule. So I only increase my training 10% per week. And after about four or five weeks of increasing my training, I'll have a, a week of back off a little bit. I've been doing it since I've been in my early 20s. So mm -hmm. my my body's held up. I, I it, it just, I don't know what it is. I, I'm, I got lucky, I don't know, mm -hmm. um, but it, it works. There's some great new stuff with technology now mm -hmm. also that's coming out that will help you uh, prolong your career. And, and you're always learning. I'm always trying to read things, listen to podcasts or, or any information that's out there and try it. You have to have an open mind. So I'll, I will try anything and give it a shot. If it works for me, I'll put that in my toolbox. If it doesn't work for me, then that's something that doesn't work for me. Yeah. It's never good to generalize. Everything should be taken as a case-by-case -case basis. And like I said, some of the chief officers I've spoken to have explicitly said it was a strategy to prolong their careers. But then there are other people, like I recently featured FDMI firefighter Jimmy Lopez on the podcast to discuss longevity as it pertains to operating in the field. Is there anything else you want to add about your thoughts or your principles when it comes to maintaining a high level of performance later in life? The the old saying, you are what you eat, is 100% like accurate. Right. And then you can go down so many rabbit holes. So I, like I said, I'll try anything. I went from vegan. I was vegan for- no. Yeah. You, I did it. And through the firehouse, and it was brutal. And I felt great for- 18 months, no, sorry, 12 months. And then at the 12 month mark, it, my body just couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. It just, I was just not operating the way I wanted to operate. So I gave it a shot. I gave it a good year try. And then I tried paleo, I tried everything. For me, what works for me is a keto, we call it a keto-ish style diet. Um, I really 
carbs and bread do not work well in my system. Mm-hmm. And uh, my inflammation's way down. My joints feel fantastic. But then what comes with that becomes, uh, I got into some fasting uh, scenarios. And like you said, doesn't work for everyone, but there's some part of it that'll work. And so I've been doing that for about five or six years now. And it really helped me perform better in racing. Mm-hmm. And it really helped with the fire service because I lost that little extra body fat that I had, so it made me lighter. The mask feels better on my back. I feel more flexible. So yes, yeah, so you gotta really. I tell guy, I tell uh, firefighters when I speak to them, uh, "What's your favorite car?" And I'll ask a young firefighter, and he's like, "I have an uh, an Audi." I go, "What? That's your dream car? I want an Audi A8. That's my dream car." And I said. If you buy that Audi A8, are you going to drive that to the gas station and put regular gasoline in that Audi? He's like, no way. I go, what gas are you putting in? He's I'm putting super in there. I go, why are you? Because it's a high-performance vehicle. And I said, well, that's what your body is. Your body is a high-performance vehicle. So if you put garbage in your body, you're going to get garbage results. So why are we not taking care of that? And so um, I truly believe that. So do I have my cheat days? Yeah. You better believe it. <laughs> and when the guys in the firehouse see me eat carrot cake, they're like, they just, they're in awe. I just crush the carrot cake. I'll take down a whole carrot cake by myself and they just can't believe it. But go back to work the next day. So you do have your cheat days. Yeah. I'm really kind of going down the rabbit hole right now personally about how much nutrition impacts cognitive performance. Uh, I personally have cut out alcohol. And that's been a huge thing for me. And how long has that? How long have you cut out alcohol? One hundred and two days. Nice. And I notice a difference, big time. Very Probably cool. more so in my thinking than anything else. Cool. Yeah. That's fantastic. I love hearing that. I cut out alcohol about five years ago, okay. and it was just. If guys in 84 and 34 ever heard me say that I had a drinking problem, they would roll their eyes. I never had a drinking problem, but it's started creeping on me mm-hmm. and I started looking forward to it too much. Mm-hmm. And I got I put myself in a scenario that I wasn't comfortable in and I said, you know what? I think I'm done with this. I don't need this. It's not making me a better version of me. Mm-hmm. And so I just stopped and it was hard mm-hmm. because socially it's such a big part of our culture. Yeah. Um, but the benefits I got on the other end just totally outweighed the pros and cons. So I've been I've been alcohol free for a pretty long time now, and it's great. Yeah, that's awesome. And it it I wasn't cold turkey. This has been a little bit of a journey for me exploring this idea of moderation. And I got to the point where I said, no, like that doesn't work for me. Okay, and, yeah. and so I, my wife does believe in the moderation. So I have had a drink or two mm-hmm. in the five year period. But what happened was my craving went away. So, um, and also the carbs, it was weird. When I got off the carbs, it kind of took the taste of alcohol out of my mouth. Hmm. It was it was weird. So um, I got it on both sides. So I would have a beer, and I was not looking for I was not looking forward to the second one. And so then I was like, you know what? I really don't need this, but I can have a drink mm-hmm. on special special occasions. I'll have I'll have a drink to celebrate something. Um, but yeah, it's it's out of my life now, and and I'm happier for it. Yeah, I could go down the rabbit hole, like I said, talking about that. Cool. But let's move on to the fact that you are included in the 13 cohort to attend the FDNY's Mental Performance Initiative later this month. So I wanted to ask you some of your thoughts on MPI, starting with um, when you first heard about the initiative and what were your initial thoughts? So I first heard about it 
a couple of years ago, and uh, Jason Bresler had invited me to do uh, to to do it, and I actually got COVID, and I was sick mm-hmm. as a dog. I actually ran the marathons sick with COVID, and the next day, Monday, was supposed to be the MPI, and I, I called up Jason, and I said, unfortunately, I, I'm going to miss this one. He said, I understand. That's the f- So I heard about it a couple of years ago. I think it's, it's fantastic. It is um, the icing on the cake. Why not have our members uh, trained in this? It's such a tool that will will make us safer. It'll make us better, um, and it just makes you a better version of you. Not not to even mention being a firefighter, but just you as a person in whole with your family life, your friends. It's just it's just incredible, and it and there's so much we're still learning about it that it's like. I, I wanted to jump out to the opportunity to take this course because I just uh, we're all students and we, I want to keep learning about our mental performance and, and make a better version of ourselves. So now that you've attended orientation, at least, what are you looking forward to most about the week-long immersive course? I, uh, the speakers. Mm-hmm. So I just want to listen to what they have to say, pick their brains, um, see what avenues they have uh, explored. Mm-hmm. So it's like I said, it's it's a we're learning all the time. Um, they, they, every single class we go to, there's new reads, new books out there, um, podcasts to listen to. So uh, and and some of it's uh, hands on, some of it's uh, uh, physical, I believe. So I can't wait for that part of it and to just self reflect and see what can I do differently, what do I need to improve on, and and what is working that I can make better. Mm-hmm. On that note, I wanted to talk about biometric data, given your athletic background. Obviously, there are several biometric and physiological monitoring devices on the market today. So how do you use biometric data to enhance your performance and recovery? I'm old school, right? So I, when I run, I don't listen to music. Um, I just go out and run. But the science is is you can't fight it. Um, so I started talking to some some people about what do they use and why, because I want to continue the streak and be good at it as I continue. So I started getting into heart rate training. Um, did a lot of research on what zones you should train in. And when I educated myself, I did realize that I was totally training in the wrong zones. Mm. So 80 to 90% of my training, I was in zone uh, three or four, and they explained the why you shouldn't be, and so then I gave it a shot. Like I said before, I'm willing to try anything. So one of the things they recommended was heart rate training, where you do 180 minus your age, plus five or 10, and you stay in that zone for 80% of your training. And disclaimer, is you're not gonna like it because you're gonna feel incredibly slow. You're gonna feel like you can outperform that number, but if you stick with it and you're disciplined, your numbers will slowly start creeping in your favor. Um, So I started it and it it was a game changer for me. I was able to train more, get faster with less wear and tear. So um, heart rate training was my number one uh, metric that I went with. So important for us as firefighters because let's just say you, your cruising pace is an eight-minute mile. You can run an eight-minute mile all day long for you know an hour. 
Uh, but you went to the firehouse and you had a really crummy night at the firehouse. You went to a job, you didn't sleep well, you didn't recover. And now the next day you wake up and you go to do your eight, your, your eight minute miles. If you're not using a heart rate monitor, you'll go out and you do those eight minute miles and you're, you're possibly going to cause injury to yourself. But if you had a heart rate monitor on, your heart rate might say, oh, no, 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 no. Today you're going to do a 10 minute mile mm -hmm. because you're fatigued, you're dehydrated, whole host of things. So it really did help prevent injury and, and increase performance. Mm -hmm. Just goes to show that old saying, when you know better, you do better, is true. So true. And on that note, are there any pitfalls or concerns you have with reliance on biometrics? As you said, you're pretty old school, so. You know, I, I do wear the whoop strap, okay. okay? And that's, it's basically, if you, people who don't know the whoop strap, it's just like a, how would you say? It's a monitor, it's a... It's a heart rate monitor, heart rate variability monitor. Sleep. That gives you recovery scores based on your sleep, your alcohol intake is in, involved with that. So it's it just basically, it's like having a, a personal trainer watching you 24 seven. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it will tell you in the morning whether you should push hard today or, or take it easy based on your activity from the day before, your stress level. I love it, but I always try to make my own assessment before I look at my information. So I will wake up in the morning and I'll say, do I feel recovered? Do I feel rested? And I'll make my own decision. And, and, and it's pretty accurate. I'd say nine out of 10 times, I'll say, I feel good today. I feel energized. I feel recovered. And then I'll look at my numbers and my numbers will reflect that. And then I'll say, uh, I don't feel, I feel tired today. Didn't have a good night's sleep. And, and it'll tell you, hey, today is a day you might want to back off a little bit. So I do wear it. It's kind of like having a personal trainer. And so it, it works for me. That's excellent. Obviously, there's so much more to training in life than just Biometric data and logging miles, obviously what we ingest in terms of music, films, podcasts, and books all contribute to our performance and worldview and more. So as we begin to wrap up, can you share your favorite or most informative book that you've read? The Peaceful Warrior, my, my wife recommended it to me. Uh, it became a movie. Both, I think there's two versions of it. It's an excellent, excellent book about being in the moment all the time um, and being positive. So th there's always something happening. So I, I love that read uh, and I try to live that that style. Um, it's hard. It's so easy to go down the negative then stay positive. With We do a little drill with my daughter. Uh, every time she comes home, we call it roses and thorns. Mm -hmm. And so every time she comes home from school, we say, give us uh, three roses and then give us a thorn. And so right away she bangs out three great things that she had at school that day. And by the time we get to the thorns, she's already forgot about her thorns. So we're trying to wire her brain to go down that positive rabbit hole as opposed to a negative. So The Peaceful Warrior for me was my number one read. Do you have a favorite movie? Is it that one or was it something else? No, I, movies are tough. There's so many of them out there. <laughs> um, so movies are tough. I, I couldn't. I'm like a Braveheart slash Gladiator type guy. Do you listen to podcasts? And if you do, which was the last one you listened to? I, I'm, I do listen to pod. I'm trying to get more into it. Once again, I don't run with any right. music. So I don't. So my spirit. And you don't have a commute. And I don't have a commute. So um, I'm trying to get into them a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, Peter Atea is pretty, pretty informative. Yeah. Um, Uberman is great. Yep. So that's who I'm kind of trying to get into. Obviously, you've 
said that when you're training and racing, you're not listening to anything. It's, it's I'm all in my head um, to, the whole time. So what's your favorite music genre? Do you have one? I'm all over the place. Guys make fun of me because I'm a big Dave Matthews fan. So in the firehouse, that might not be too macho or cool, but I like Dave. I can't I can't help it. But I love my hip-hop, 90s hip-hop. It's I'm a Queens kid. Yeah. Uh, but then I, I go to Tool and I go to Metallica. So I'm, I'm, I'm a music fan. I just cannot get into country. Sorry, country people. Mm-hmm. I cannot get into R&B. Those are the two. I just can't do it. But anything else, you put it on. Turn it up. I'm, I'm happy. Do you have a go-to mantra? My mantra, I don't know where I stole it from. I believe uh, it was an instructor at The Rock. But it's uh, there is no try. It's there's do and do not. There is no try. So if you don't get it done, you got to go back and get it done. So that's my mantra. There is no try. There's do and do not. Well, I could continue talking to you all day, but we're at time. Nice. So thank you so much for being so generous with your insight and your experience. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.